1: Hey everybody! This is Phil Town,
0: and this is Danielle Town.
1: Welcome to the New
0: Year, 2022, Welcome to our 350th podcast episode. And
1: here we are at Invested. So where insane. we are? What are we doing? Seven <laughs> years into this now. <laughs>
0: Um, uh, we just keep making simple, it up as we go along and somehow it's working out and keeping just, me interested. <laughs> this is a
1: big, big onion. I'll tell you that we've been peeling. That's Charlie, true. We, we need to talk to Charlie before he departs this world and ask him how he could have possibly said, what will those professors do the rest of the year after we explain <laughs> investing <laughs> in one brief moment
0: <laughs> Nothing
1: to it? Which, by the way, takes me to something I think is worth discussing. If you guys are following all this, for looking toward the new year, um, one of the things that kind of helps is look backwards a bit. And um, have to say, you know, the S and P 500 in not everybody's in the U.S., but the U.S. stock market did some enormous number last year. You know, mm. wherever it started in January, and it just did this enormous like 27 or 28 percent. It was just huge. And the Dow did something like eighteen percent, also huge. And I think ballpark, I'm at like, I don't know, twelve, hmm. or something, which I think is worth worth discussing, actually.
0: Cool. Yeah, why, I love why discussing would you feel that. Good about that. Yeah. Right. Okay. Getting- so, so what you're saying is, the market, depending on which index you look at, did let's say, between 18 25%. Mm-hmm. And you're saying your portfolio did like half that, roughly.
1: Yeah. One one did a bit better than that, right? One did. Um, and, and that's not what the final- What does one did mean? You mean one, one company? I've got a couple of portfolios. So oh, like, okay. You know, one of them did a little better. It was a little more fully invested. So the the first thing from this is that We've been playing defense here for a long time. I mean, very, very defensive for years now.
0: Since starting this podcast 350 episodes ago.
1: Yeah, that's really true.
0: I distinctly remember you scaremongering me about, I mean, you meant it. It wasn't like you were trying to scaremonger me, but it was like, watch out because the market's going to drop at any moment. And I was like, (laughs) oh my God.
1: I had this friend of mine who I I went to a guides reunion with with a bunch of guides who were Uh, Working Whitewater back in the seventies, and and uh, this guy had done real well. He's a good good friend of mine who went on to run a couple big companies in Europe and a really successful consultant. Mm. And he said, "I just wanted to remind you of your prediction of your of your encouragement of me to get into cash uh, three years ago." Oh no,
0: (laughs) that's a fun cocktail conversation.
1: You said I didn't do it. But I just want to remind you of your your market projection. I just skills. wanted
0: to say thanks for the advice that I chose not to follow and ended up being correct about that. Exactly.
1: Thank you for not for trying to keep me out of like a, a market that's done really well. But then I forgot that the re, the rebuttal for that would have had to have been that yeah, well you were in cash when the market dropped 37% too in March of 2020. And a lot of this up is just simply coming back from that disaster. Um, So, you know, there's some, I can, I can, I can defend myself a little bit, but not entirely because the market has overall done really spectacularly well. And, you know, it's worth discussing as we go into the new year, just how good an investing strategy is this rule one strategy. If year after year, Just leaving your money in the stock market would have done as well most of the time or better. And I
0: think that's... Like leaving your money in an index. In an index, With with no work from you Uh would have maybe done even better, yeah.
1: Just keep feeding it, right? And just leave it in there. Well, first of all, um, let
0: me just say, I love the intellectual honesty. It's such a relief after, you know, you just hear people going on these days about... How great they are at investing because yeah. because their portfolios are up, and I always i mean I say this about myself, like it's not that hard right now. like it's not like <laughs> I'm you know going up against an escalator like i'm I'm riding the escalator down and it's very comfortable. Maybe that's the wrong direction. I'm riding the escalator up, <laughs> and it's very comfortable <laughs> so um, right. yeah it's uh it's nice to kind of talk about what happens if you're picking stocks in this situation? Yeah, and if you Although pick I hate them like, that term.
1: If, yeah. If you, if you choose companies, choose companies
0: do, that right. you're fully invested in.
1: And if you better. feel like investing really isn't, um, it isn't the, the process of just hoping things go up. It's focusing on things that are, are way down for the wrong reasons and, and buying them. And the, the, The problem with this is what we see right now and has been the case ever since Ben Graham sort of figured this out and taught Warren Buffett. Um, And Buffett and Munger moved from a strategy of very aggressive sort of trading and buying lots of companies and buying them super cheap. We've talked about net nets not long ago and that kind of thing. Yeah. Moving, Moving toward, hey, wonderful business at a fair price is better than a fair business at a wonderful price. And then just holding on to them. And seeing how well that did all through the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, um, really up to today, Buffett <clears throat> Buffett has had a great track record long term, but his last 10 years, not, not at all keeping up with the market.
0: Right. right? Yeah, totally.
1: So a lot of and criticism of this lot style of, of investing. And I think it's fair criticism if you can't keep up with something that's a no brainer why would you bother learning all this and doing all this work and scoping out all these companies? And for literally the last 11 years or 12 years, with the exception of a brief blip here and there, like the COVID blip, you've done extremely well by just sitting in the market. So that's a, that's a fun, that's a fun question to ask, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is a fun question to ask. I mean, I have an opinion but I'm curious to hear what you oh, think. Oh,
1: well, let's hear it. I'm curious what yours is.
0: Well, I what mean, it. I, so my view is that if you're going to buy into this concept, which I think is factual, um, that the stock market represents the earnings, the output, the wealth creation of these various companies. And while they may not be, accurately representing that, while the stock market price may not be accurately representing that at any given moment, over a long period of time, the stock market will roughly approximate um, that company's value. Mm-hmm. And that's what Munger and Buffett say. Sure. So if that's true, it can't only be true for the times the market has dropped, and there are so-called deals out there, aka the market has mispriced to a lower extent, a good company. It has to also be true when the market is high and the market has mispriced to a higher extent a bad company or a good company, by the way. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you're going to buy into this idea that the market at some point over time is a, uh, a weighing machine instead of a voting machine, you have to do it on both ends. And what we've been seeing is a very long period of time in which in my view government intervention has supported the markets to grow and grow and grow and essentially separate themselves from the underlying earnings of the companies so
1: yeah yeah that's
0: good it, it, just because you know you can if you're a, if you're a true long-term investor who's buying and selling based on the underlying companies uh, earnings in the future you have to be able to say to yourself, like right now, the uh, the valuations out there, the pricing, is not grounded in worth. And I've heard a lot of arguments from very smart people about why these prices are grounded in the value of companies. Mm. And
1: so they're saying they're saying you're wrong. They are actually valuing the companies properly. Correct. For the most part, yeah.
0: For the most part, depending on, depending on the type of company, depending on um, the big sure. changes that are going on in the world and how these companies are, you know, going to be huge in the future because of technology, mostly.
1: Well, Buffett and Munger said that effectively. They're they're in a. They have said that day, in various,
0: so. yeah, in various sort of cryptic ways. They have said it, that a bit. Basically,
1: if interest rates are permanently at the level they're at then in fact, yeah, the market is priced.
0: Yeah, they've also said stuff like, particularly I remember Buffett talking about missing Amazon and how he thought that Amazon was continually overpriced. And I think he also said that about Apple, that he thought Apple Mm -hmm. was continually overpriced and he just didn't see where it was going to end up going. Mm -hmm. So when looking at future earnings, he had drastically um, discounted them from what they Mm -hmm. actually ended up being. So, yeah, so there's some argument there for sure, and I'm not saying that that's wrong, but I think on the overall view, um
1: I mean really if you it, look it's at hard markets, to
0: tether this to reality.
1: well, if you look at the markets historically, um like going way back as as Robert Schiller at Yale does, and we've talked about the schiller p e ratio. The, the Schiller P.E. ratio takes into account inflation and long and basically s- smooths out the the curve by averaging it over time. But the essence of it is and for for this analysis, Schiller got the Nobel Prize for this and among other things um, that the average P.E. ratio of the Schiller is about 16 over the long history of 140 years. And when we look at the market over that long period of time, um, what Lee Lu says comes to mind, and that is that, yeah, if you, on the long term, you're going to have very good success with the stock market, just leaving your money in there. But that when you look at it on the short term and, and on the long term, you could presume that, as you were saying, the market prices things at their value eventually, then you would expect the, that the reasonable or the rational number of relationship between price and value would be about 16 overall. And um and then you look at this thing and you and as Lee Lu said and does that and yeah except the problem is you'll have huge periods of time where the market isn't doing anything like that at all.
0: Mm, yeah, good point.
1: And there's yeah. the catch. Yeah. Is that if you're buying the market and expecting a return of the market return let's say of 9 or 10 or 11% whatever. Um And you happen to hit one of these quite regular long periods of time where the market is doing nothing. The return over, I think 26 years from 1929 until 1955 was zero in the stock market with a lot of down to it. Um, and then again, from yeah, or they're only, they don't feel like sideways markets at the time. They feel like the whole world's going to hell and you're, you shouldn't be in the stock market at all. And so, you know, from 1965 to 1983, the market rate of return was zero, and it had multiple market drops of 30, 40, 50 percent. I think 10 or 12 times during that 20-year period, and um, and now we're in this huge period <clears throat> where we've had a couple of sharp drops down 50 percent, one in 2001, and another one in 2008, um, where the market went down, and then has come back up. And overall, the overall market rate of return is much, much lower long term than what we're seeing recently, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, if you were to think, okay, well, I'm going to just gonna put my money in here and leave it in here right now, looking at the relationship between the, the historical relationship of stock prices and the earnings of these companies, as you were talking about, unless something has radically changed in what people are willing to get when they put money into an investment um, in exchange for the risk of putting it in there relative to a risk-free bond. Like, okay, I'm going to put it in a bond instead of into the stock market. The rate of return that people are getting is number one, completely unsustainable. You you don't get 15, 20, 25% rates of return forever because eventually, As what we saw with the real estate market, things become so absurdly priced that it makes no sense to put money in them. You don't, you Hmm. can't get a return eventually. Hmm. Hmm. Um, You know when you're buying Yahoo at nineteen thousand PE, right? Right. And as we've said many times here, the market is priced currently at a Wilshire, uh, stock market overall relative to GDP price of two hundred and fifty percent right now. When during Graham and Buffett's entire, um, the, the entire time that they were making a legend out of themselves, the relationship between the Wilshire and the uh, GDP was like 20%, 30%, 50%. I mean, it was absurdly different than it is right now. And so the argument that this is a permanent change may have some weight to it, right? I mean, if you're looking back at from the 1930s until Really, the 1990s, 1999 almost, before the market got to where the Wilshire GDP ratio was about 100%. And that entire time before that, it's half of that was normal. Hmm. Right. So here we're sitting. Wait,
0: say that again. So <clears throat> in which time half was normal?
1: Oh, gosh, all the way from 1930 to 1999. Like You're saying Buffett,
0: half half was uh, half the returns. Half of, GDP. half of GDP. Half
1: of GDP. So if you said okay, um, GDP is ten trillion, the market price for an enormous amount of that time was five trillion dollars. Oh, I got you. Okay. Today, if you said GDP is ten trillion, the market price is twenty five trillion, hmm. so five hundred percent higher relatively uh, than it was for virtually Buffett's entire career right? Right up until the year 2000. And we can see since then he has not had sterling returns as the market has crept to higher and higher uh, prices relative to earnings. It's kept Buffett away from the market to a large degree. And so this kind of investing its really worth looking at here at the beginning of the year is, are we fossils? Are we, I mean, I've been doing this my entire career, 40 some years. Buffett's been doing it for 70, longer than that. Munger, I mean, are we fossils? are we are we so outmoded now that that these ratios that we look at, um, they they're not coming back. You're never going to see them again,
0: Yeah., um, but wait a second. So I must have missed something. So you're saying that the market was typically half of GDP for seventy years
1: in a range of 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 twenty percent to one hundred percent of GDP. So,
0: and so how does that relate to maybe what's happening now? is not is permanent
1: ah well the the first thing you could say is maybe what's happening now is such a major change in economic mark in in the control of markets by big Ah, governments okay that those ratios what schiller what schiller got the nobel prize for in 2013 is completely outdated and gone by 2021. That whole notion that there's something that you can look at long term, that's a long term view of the market that's that's like gravity and must always exist. Yeah. Essentially the the relationship of 16, right? The PE ratio of 16 roughly or a market rate of return of of 8 or 9%. That's the argument it would have to be that's gone. For you to right, put but money what i'm asking is why. Today,
0: so you're saying why? government intervention.
1: That's the the number one thing. Okay. Is governments have taken control on on two 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 major levels and one is that central banks and, and the federal reserve is a central bank and Europe has one as well. That central banks can control the printing press of their of their um their currency and they can control interest rates. And the way they do that isn't really relevant right now. It's just the fact that they can do it is what's important. And by doing so, they seem to be getting away with economic murder relative to what people used to think about economics. They didn't think you could print trillions of dollars and not have runaway inflation. Because in history, printing trillions of dollars always turned out to be runaway inflation followed by world war. Total disaster or meltdown of the currency. Well, they've been doing it. They've been doing it and they've been getting away with it really, really well. And part of the reason may be that the entire world is off of a standard that is difficult to corrupt, right? The gold standard. And so printing currency always comes back to bite you in the butt because you've got this standard that everybody's on. That's gone. There's no standard. So currencies are just evaluated against each other. This is all just paper currencies. What's the yen worth against the dollar, against the yuan, which against the euro? Mm-hmm. What are they worth? Mm-hmm. And if everybody's printing, um, then basically prices just go up. And if they can make them go up gently, then, you know, everybody's fine. And you can print forever. That's is the that current. the only
0: reason, you think?
1: No, that's that's just one. The second is that they control interest rates, which are devastating to bond investors, which have traditionally been... A storehouse of of wealth. You put money into a bond, and theoretically, a government bond, one that's very safe. And theoretically, you're putting it in at a rate of return that exceeds the inflation rate long term. So that, although you may not make a ton of money, your money secured its purchasing power over a long period of time. And that's the, Id- the Id- why people would put money in bonds, particularly people who are relatively wealthy or, have, or are going to be retired. They they don't want to speculate and lose their retirement in one of these 20-year periods where the market's yeah. down 50%, right?
0: Yeah, they want to so, know exactly how much money they've got coming in every right. year. Right, so you,
1: you put it into a government bond, and this is very traditional, and most financial advisors will, will begin shifting the portfolio mix of somebody who's wealthy enough to have a financial advisor. They will shift the portfolio mix from heavyweight on the stock market to heavyweight on bonds mm. uh, as the person gets to retirement and the more risk averse that person is the more it's weighted to bonds well if you do that today you're almost guaranteeing your client you know poverty in their in their mm. retirement mm. because bonds are producing a rate of return that's substantially lower than inflation
0: at evernorth health services
1: So this is, this is kind of unheard of. You've got an inflation rate running right now, according to the government of 5%, but the government is forgetting a lot of important things like the cost of housing. And when you add that in, it looks like the inflation rate is more like what people are really feeling, which is like, it's huge. Um, and one estimate was it's running around a real rate of around 10%. Well, if you're in a long bond, not even a long, a 10 year bond, 10 years. You're getting 1.6% with an inflation rate of 10%. Now imagine what would happen if that keeps up. You're losing buying power at a rate of 8.4% per year for a 10-year period, which means your buying power in that 10-year period will virtually be cut in half. You'll be getting the buying power of half of the money you put into that 10-year T-bill, which is a disaster. You've just lost 50% of your money.
0: Absolutely.
1: Right? So this is the manipulation going on at the at the central banks to drive people out of bonds. So people don't want bonds. If that's, you just know, no way do I want to be in a bond if I'm going to get half my money back in terms of my buying power. So you're forced into the stock market. Well, if that's the only game in town. Where's it going to go? With people printing money and giving it out, it's going to go there. And that's what we see with people now starting to just gamble on on stocks at Robinhood and GameStop and AMC and all of the the did the, the the call investing right call option investing and trading, and it's just become a casino.
0: That, so how does that relate for you to permanence?
1: Right. Is so. so
0: second, but second question is there it relates. anything else besides government? Just government.
1: Well, the other side of government that I haven't mentioned yet is the fiscal side. So the monetary side is the central banks. They're going to buy bonds to keep interest rates low. They're going to print money to keep interest rates low. That's called monetary policy. How much money's floating around? How much currency is floating around, right? And then you have the the government itself, which can do massive deficit spending. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and, and to aggressively put money out into projects like infrastructure mm-hmm. and so on. So that's exactly, of course, what our government's doing. And that adds trillions of dollars more going into the economy to try to stimulate the economy. So these two things going on simultaneously are are creating a kind of a, a monetary miracle or a, or a financial miracle. And that is that somehow they're violating the laws of nature that we've seen for the last 140 years in economics by printing enormous amounts of money, maybe making people feel like they're wealthier by having access to cash so much so that in the United States, six or 7 million people haven't bothered to go back to work. I mean, it's just phenomenal and they're calling it the great retirement or something. So you've got all of this money out there chasing goods and services, which are going up rapidly, wages going up rapidly, inflation rising, And yet interest rates are staying at near zero. So this is, this is an economic miracle. And I'm not sure you even, do you know why it's an economic miracle? If, if inflation is going up like crazy, right? Like we said, five to 10% and you're getting 1% for a bond in the real world, you don't give your money to the person who's offering you 1%. You're not gonna, you can't sell your money for enough money. It's like, you wouldn't rent your house, right? If you didn't get enough rent.
0: Yeah, the market so, forces would drive the, in- yeah. the the interest rates up. But,
1: but it's like they don't care. They're just stepping in where normally there would be investors and capital coming into the market. They're just stepping in and printing money and putting it in there. And so the, the question becomes this. If you're a long-term investor and if you've done really, really well, let's say for some miracle you stepped into the market in 2009 and just nailed it. You've received about a 13% compounded rate of return in the stock market from that point in time till now, about a 13% compounded, which will double your money every six years. So if we're looking at uh, 12 years here, you've doubled your money twice from the the very great fortune of putting your money into the market when it had just crashed, right, in 2009. So you've doubled twice. So if you put $100,000 in, then you'd have 400000 now, which is fabulous. It's a really, really good rate of return, way better than the market almost ever does for that length of time. Mm. Right now, the reason that I still love doing what we do. And the reason we're still teaching it everywhere is that if you take that same person who got lucky and put their money into an in- index in 2009, take that same person and have them just pick 10 good companies in 2009, just pick 10. And we actually did this in a class in Singapore, pick 10. Those companies, if you just sat on them, have produced about a 1,500% return, not compounding at 13%. They've compounded at 32% per year. And so where one person went from 100,000 to 400, this other person with knowledge of how to invest, doing it the way Buffett does it, but picking the bottom of the market, getting very lucky there has gone from 100,000 to 1. 1.5 million. So almost four times higher dollars in your pocket from knowing something about investing versus just putting it into the market. So mm-hmm. that's, that's the first rebuttal to, oh, just sit tight because it's way better. Um, and the second is that if you don't get lucky and put your money into the market at the bottom, which is impossible right now because we're nowhere near the bottom, were much more likely to be very near the top. If you were to put your money into the market at the top, then you're not like the person in 2009 going from 100 to 400,000 over the next 12 years. You're much more likely to be the person in 1929 going from 100 to 100 in a period of 20 years. So yeah. there's the problem. <laughs> there's the problem. That's Which been one the problem
0: you for be? what seven years? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but but here's the thing we're sitting here a huge portion of this time being anywhere from 30 to 50% in cash and still doing pretty okay without taking the kind of risk people are taking when they just have their money all in and just praying that the thing just keeps going up forever because when the market went down we went down about half as much as the market and we're we able being to buy your
0: portfolio
1: yeah we were able to buy wonderful businesses we just you know they were like, they were everywhere you you could find lots of them and the market hadn't didn't even wasn't even allowed to fully crash yeah so next true. time around and next time is coming I just, I don't know when but it's coming next time around that's going to happen again we're going to have the same opportunities again and you can do the numbers and I would encourage you to do them look at at the different alternatives staying in the market as it goes through these cycles and ultimately comes back down, pulled back down by gravity back to something like normal. And you end up with a overall, a much, much better return. If you do what we do, than Mm -hmm. if you just leave your money in the market, but you're going to have times like right now where the market is absurdly high and you're waiting for it to go down and you're waiting maybe for years for it to go down, uh, and you're not going to do as well, but you're going to be a lot safer, a lot safer than just ho- sitting there and hoping for the best.
0: Well, I think it's a really interesting question whether this type of market is just a new era like maybe it maybe it is permanent like this. Um, I mean we look I don't at know. Yeah, I don't know I don't how it could be, be. I, well I think I think all be. your points about government intervention are well taken and I maybe that'll change, but maybe not. And I would also add two more reasons that I'm not sure really how much effect they have, but I think they're right. One is um, just the influx of private money into the market that's been going on basically since like roughly 2000, probably as the internet grew, as online brokerages came to be not so weird and not so scary anymore. And then I would say like the gamification of stock investing or stock speculating or day trading started to really happen in the last few years as it started to then go onto apps and be on your phone and be so easy. I don't know how much money it is, but it's not insignificant. And I think having the, the small amounts of money from private individuals Going in, as we've seen, it made a huge difference in certain stocks. Sure, um, it's it's not nothing, and I think oh, that's not, not going to change. That's going to continue, even that's if we have
1: going to change massively.
0: I don't think so. I think if we have a a huge crash, everyone's going to get really freaked out. Yes, they're going to lose their money. Yes, and it's going to be bad. Yes, and they will come back because no. it's fun. Because I'm serious because <laughs> it's an app on your phone <laughs> and because they saw what happened last time you get in, in 1999 or in what, 2009 but you're and missing something. you ride that wave. Like people have not ignored Warren Buffett.
1: You're missing something.
0: What am I missing?
1: 2000 and 2009, they were coming in because they weren't there before. So their money was still intact.
0: Okay, right? fair enough. Yeah. But
1: now they're in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so So the, when they so get the money disappears. The money disappears. And I then got where you. is it going to come from? These yeah. guys don't make millions of dollars a year.
0: No, but they make some. Uh, some, you know, decent yeah. living, let's say. Enough where you have some money to put into the stock market.
1: Well, I'll tell you the other thing that I think would dr- is going to dramatically affect the market is the same thing that's affecting the employment ratios in the United States and and that is that a lot of people who are age 55 or over decided because of the risk of COVID, they weren't going back to work. Hmm. And a lot of people, they, they're just like, okay, well, we're, we're close enough. We're just going to retire now. Hmm. And they're not going back. There's an estimate that there are 3.5 million people who came out of the workforce who are not going back ever. And I think that same thing will occur with the stock market. These are 75 million baby boomers, the second largest group in the United States, and certainly the one with the most money. And they've been the one driving this market for many, many years um, with 401ks and RERAs and so on.
0: Mm.
1: And now if this thing crumbles, they're coming out and they're going to stay out because they're retired and they're not going to play the market. They can't play that game. So they're going to be, those of them who are uh, very alert to the market are going to get their money out early, and those who are not so much are going to get terrified and they're going to pull it out late. Uh, And in neither case are they going to put it back. So I think we're we're seeing a phenomenon that's we're going to see a reset to this stock market that is truly memorable unless the Federal Reserve intervenes in some way that I, I can't see directly right now. That doesn't cause an, uh, an even worse problem. In other words. The,
0: I, I'd agree with you. I mean, I, in theory, it makes total sense.
1: In theory, I'm so Right.
0: In theory, you're so right. In reality, I'm just thinking back to the crash in March last year, uh, which seemed like doomsday and just people just piled back in. It was unbelievable. Like everybody was just sitting around waiting (laughs) (laughs) to buy like it's not like these lessons are exclusive to us, you know, like people are not ignorant of the concept that you could buy a company cheap. This right. is everywhere now.
1: But so, the same thing happened in 1929. I mean, the market bonked and then people bought back in and it recovered briefly and then the floor fell out and it, it just completely collapsed. Yeah, maybe. And, I, and I'm thinking that what makes it go this time is going to be such a complete reset of the economic system. and it, what They have postponed the, uh, the sort of economic gravity for so long now. Um, that they may start thinking, and I think a lot of people in in the world do think you can do it f- permanently, but no one has ever done that yet, ever mm. in the history of the world, they've never done it. So, all right, I have I'm one more reason. I have I think, one I more like reason yes. that
0: maybe the stock market change is permanent, and I realize that I'm contradicting myself with everything I said in the beginning. But that's the, and fun the next part. thing
1: you're going to tell me is you're going to invest in, in indexes. I'd be like, oh dear lord.
0: <laughs> No, <laughs> no, but I'll tell you my reason next time because we are oh, out of very game,
1: very that? good. I can't oh. wait to hear that. All right, <laughs> then in that case, um, I will be the the curmudgeonly old fart that's just like ah, the world ain't changing, and you know it's different this time is a bunch of BS, and I'll be that guy. Okay, and, that's fine. Uh, I think my stupid, I
0: just don't know, and I feel very comfortable not knowing. I have no idea about these things. So it's kind of fun to like beat it back and forth because I have no idea. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Okay. Well, okay. Until next next time. time. That was Thanks everybody. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah. It's going to be a better year after our depressing New Year episode.
1: I think it it actually could be a really good
0: year. We'll talk about
1: how to make it a really good year as we're going along. All right. See you guys. Bye. Time to go play. Bye.